Well, I want for us to take a moment, want for you to take a moment today, and, and I want for you to think about the most stressful environment that you've ever experienced, okay? Get that in your mind. I'm sure that makes you excited for church today. It's awesome. And I have in my mind already one of the most stressful environments I've ever experienced. I'll try to describe it for you here. The, the environment in my mind that is so stressful, I mean, it, it is unpredictable. You never know what's going to happen. It's chaotic. It's loud. It involves yelling and screaming and sometimes crying and lots of laughing and, and lots of inappropriateness. And it also involves these, these little short people that are really immature and they don't have any sense of healthy boundaries whatsoever. Perhaps you've guessed it. I'm referring to a real life kindergarten classroom. Now, both of my two children have been through kindergarten. My daughter's in first grade this year. And uh, for both of them, I, I spent you know, a couple different times in their kindergarten classrooms for holiday parties and that kind of thing. Enough to witness the absolutely incredible gifting of leadership and patience involved in a kindergarten teacher. I'm telling you, I, ha I have never seen leadership and patience in anyone more than a kindergarten teacher. Now, I'm just curious curious by show of hands, how many of you in the room work in the education field, regardless of your role? Thank you. That's all. Let's just give some appreciation to all these people. Like, it's mind-blowing to me. It's absolutely incredible to me that, that you're able to do that. And now, I know this isn't going to surprise you. Uh, we are not a Catholic church. I know that's not going to surprise you. Um, so generally, we do not practice sainthood, but if we did practice sainthood, you all would be on the forefront of, uh, of my mind for a nomination. Well, on that note, welcome to Element Church. My name is Andy Hazlett, one of the associate pastors here at Element. I'm honored to share the message with you today. And before we jump into the message and before I explain why I shared with you my fear of kindergartners, uh, let me quickly share about our Christmas series that's starting next Sunday on December 1st. Next Sunday, uh, Pastor Jeff is going to kick off a new Christmas series called There Is Hope. Matthew 12, 21 says about Jesus that his name will be the hope of all the world. And in the series, we're going to look at why the name of Jesus itself offers hope. And next week, we're going to look specifically at how Jesus is our hope in sickness. And we're going to be planning a special time in the service where we will be praying for healing in people's lives as well. The Christmas season, uh, by the way, is a fantastic time to invite someone to church. Often people are, they're, they're just looking for a place to go to church this season. And so we encourage you to, to start thinking of who you can invite to church this Christmas season. So maybe you're wondering... Why I shared with you about my stress level with kindergartners or my praise of teachers. Well, uh, one of the primary reasons for the existence of the church is for teaching. And sometimes we, we forget that. And, and not just what I'm doing uh, today from the platform on a Sunday, but throughout the church, uh, teaching should exist. In fact, Jesus said in the famous Great Commission that we find in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus said this, teach these new disciples to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching should happen throughout the church. 
and not just on Sunday. And if I were to sum up the message today with one word, maybe you're hoping I would sum up the message today with one word, but a one-word sermon today would be this, teachable. Teachable. I'm praying that we would catch on to what the Bible says about how we as Christians should be teachable. The big question that we're going to ask and answer in the message today is this. What does it mean biblically to be teachable? The main scripture that we're going to look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 11. Now, uh, we're going to be looking in Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. But in Paul's first letter, which obviously came before his second letter, in 1 Corinthians, he challenged them rather strongly. He addressed a specific issue of sin in one of the church members' lives that had been ignored and overlooked by the leadership of that church. In short, one of the church members was involved in sexual immorality with his stepmother, and the church was affirming, or at least not addressing at all, the sin issue in this man's life. And this was one of many issues going on in the church of Corinth that Paul had to challenge and address in 1 Corinthians. There were also rumblings of discontent from certain people uh, from the church who were questioning Paul's legitimacy as an apostle. So there was a rift between Paul, the apostle, and the Corinthian Christians, the Corinthian believers. Paul challenged them hard. He pointed out specific sin in individuals' lives and the failure of the leadership there to properly address those sin issues. Now when we get to 2 Corinthians, his second letter, that some time has passed, and Paul's tone has completely changed. Paul is actually filled with joy because of their repentance. They listened to Paul's instruction from his first letter, 1 Corinthians. Apparently, Titus, who was another church leader, had spent some time with the Corinthians in, in the meantime, and Titus brings a positive report back to Paul. Paul received this report from Titus before he writes 2 Corinthians. So in 2 Corinthians, while Paul is still giving instruction, it's a much lighter letter. It's not nearly as, as strong and abrupt. It's, it's much lighter with much more encouragement and rejoicing. Now, uh, before we dive in, let me give a, a quick note to you in the room if you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, um, I'm so grateful that you are in church today. Uh, we're so glad that you're here, and I hope that you continue to come. And it, it seems that one of the most prevalent indictments against the church from non-Christians today is in regard to how Christians treat one another and the hi hypocrisy of those who claim to be Christian. And that complaint against the church is valid. And unfortunately, it's often true. And even though it's often true, it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. Christians are supposed to be able to challenge one another in life and to live in holiness rather than hypocrisy. So while the message today is aimed primarily at Christians and our teachable spirit or lack thereof, as a non-Christian, I hope that you'll at least be able to learn what the Bible says about how Christians should be operating when it comes to uh, challenging one another, teaching one another, and uh, addressing sin potentially in each other's lives. So let's dive into 2 Corinthians 7, 
verses 8 through 11, the Apostle Paul says this. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. He's referring to 1 Corinthians. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. So what does it mean biblically to be teachable? It's our big question for today. We're going to look at two perspectives in the message today. Uh, we're going to look at the perspective of the teacher, and then we're going to look at the perspective of the student. And I thought it would be helpful, maybe a little bit fun, to attach a character to each of these perspectives that we're going to look at today. Uh, the first perspective, by the way, is Paul. Paul is our teachable teacher. Okay, And so I thought I'd bring a couple of my kids' stuffed animals with me today to attach to these two different perspectives. And not just any stuffed animal. Uh, I brought with me Build-A-Bears. Okay? Build-A-Bears. How many of you parents have gotten ripped off by a Build-A-Bear before? <laughs> Anybody? Yeah. Testify to that. Basically, a Build-A-Bear means that my wife and I got ripped off by purchasing an overpriced stuffed animal that neither of our kids care about anymore. But I'm not bitter, so it's completely fine. Let me introduce you to Ranger Joe. This is Ranger Joe. Uh, we named him that because he's a ranger. And, uh, and so Ranger Joe is, he's not perfect. Uh, ranger Joe, his pants often fall down and we're often missing his boots. But this is Ranger Joe, and I say my son no longer cares about him. You know, every now and then he comes out, like when we go on a camping trip or something like that. But Ranger Joe, he's kind of like our authority figure, okay? And so Ranger Joe is gonna represent Paul, who in this scenario is like, he's the teacher. Paul's the teachable teacher that is challenging the Corinthians. So Ranger Joe is our first perspective. Let's look back again at verse eight, see what Paul says. He says this. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first. For I know it was painful to you for a little while. See, Paul loved the Corinthians enough to challenge them on their sin. And just a, a really important note here is that Paul was challenging Christians, okay? So Paul was not speaking to non-Christians. If he were speaking to non-Christians, he would share the gospel with them. Paul's speaking to Christians, so don't take this message and just go out and find sinners and, and just tell them that they're going to hell. Like, that is an incorrect interpretation of this passage entirely. Paul was speaking to Christians. Paul takes the time to lovingly correct them over a consistent period of time. Paul shows his own courage in challenging these believers he deals with the problems head on. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't overlook it and he doesn't mince words. And the truth is, 
We all need mentor figures like Paul in our lives that will speak truth into us when we are in the wrong. I want to share with you something that commentator Albert Barnes says about this passage. It's very helpful. He says this. It is often painful to be compelled to use the language of reproof. Paul deeply regretted the necessity of doing it in the case of the Corinthians and expressed the deepest anxiety in regard to it. No man, no minister, parent, or friend can use it, but with deep regret that it is necessary. But the painfulness of it should not prevent our doing it. It should be done tenderly, but faithfully. If done with the deep feeling, with the tender affection of Paul, it will be done right. And when so done, it will produce the desired effect and do good. No man should use the language of reproof with a hard heart or with severity of feeling. If he is like Paul, ready to weep when he does it, it will do good. If he does it because he delights in it, it will do evil. Now, before you go on thinking, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a small group leader or spiritual leader of some kind. This, this really doesn't apply to me. I'm off the hook. Let, let me just broaden our thinking just a little because while many of you in the room may not see yourself as a spiritual mentor that gives spiritual coaching to others, the majority of us in the room have some level of influence. We have some kind of influence. Whether it be with your kids, friends, coworkers, your employees, we have influence. And if you are a Christian, you are called to use your influence for the glory of God in that person's life, whether it's your kid or your coworker. And it looks one way with a Christian, it looks another way with a non-Christian. And again, we're looking specifically today at how, uh, how that can happen to, between Christians, uh, a mentor and a mentee. So there's two words that come to mind when I think about how we are to go about this in the church. Holiness and humility. Holiness and humility. The Bible gives us direction on teaching, on challenging one another as Christians. And I'll just point out two additional passages, and then we'll jump back to Paul's example with the Corinthians. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 3 through 5, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Notice he doesn't say not to deal with it. He just says, get rid of the, the premeditated, purposeful sin in your own life that you haven't dealt with, because until you get rid of that, you can't even see clearly enough to have the right perspective. You shouldn't deal with it. If you are involved in active, unrepentant sin in your life, you should not be the person to challenge your Christian brother or sister. Philippians 2, 3 through 7, the Apostle Paul says this. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. 
You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Interestingly, Jesus, the only one that could have come into the world yelling at humanity, actually did the opposite. God became flesh. He lowered himself to our level. He willingly suffered so that we could be made whole. The best teachers are humble and willing to suffer for their students. What about Paul? What about Paul? What do we see in him as he challenges the Corinthians? Well, the first thing that we see in Paul is that Paul was fully surrendered to Christ. I call him a teachable teacher because he was surrendered to Jesus in every area, every area of his life. He was following Jesus himself. Secondly, Paul had a relationship with the Corinthians. He knew them by name. He knew the specifics of the issues that he was dealing with. You see, Paul had relational equity with them to speak into their lives. That's huge. Third thing we see is Paul shows genuine concern for them. He really does. I mean, when, when you read this passage, there was a tinge of regret in Paul's words. The potential hurt that he caused in the Corinthians created pain and a sense of regret in Paul. He didn't want to hurt them, but he was willing to hurt them in order to help them. And lastly, we see that Paul rejoices in their faith. Now that may not seem like a big deal, but it reveals to us that Paul actually wanted what was best for them. That's huge. Like before I challenge another Christian, I should ask myself, do I really want what's best for this individual? Further, am I clearly articulating how they can be restored? Keyword, restored, not just beat up with a club. Am I clearly articulating how they can be restored and why they should be restored? Or am I secretly hoping for their demise? That's messed up right there. But it happens all the time, right? And it shouldn't happen that way. Let, let me illustrate it this way. Um, I was trying to think of like, like uh, what other environments we can, we can see this in with authority figures. And uh, let, let's think about law enforcement, for example. Let's take a, a police officer. What kind of police officer or, or law enforcement individual is, is a teachable kind of person? Well, I have two examples here. The first one is not very teachable. It's Paul Blart, mall cop. Now, Paul Blart, if you've never seen, it's a movie. If you've never seen Paul Blart, mall cop, you're not missing that much. It's, it's ridiculous. It's kind of funny. But uh, Paul Blart, the character in the movie, he's a laughable character. And he's, you know, in his case, he's not very capable. He's kind of on a power trip. And he really wants other people to know that he's in charge. Right? That's not humble. And that's not the kind of teachable person that we think of. What about, what about this law enforcement, this, this uh, police officer up on the screen here? Uh, this is from real life, not a movie. 
this police officer in 2016 in Gainesville, Florida, received a noise complaint from a neighbor about these kids playing basketball too loudly. So he goes to the scene and instead of getting out and lecturing them and dropping the hammer, so to speak, on them, he joins the game. I love that. I think that's awesome. Now, my point is not that we should join in on the sinning, obviously. The point I'm simply trying to make is that he didn't take himself too seriously. And that took some humility. That takes humility. He cared enough about his community to actually get to know the people in his community. He wasn't above playing a basketball game with them. And I'll tell you what, who do you think those teenage boys that were maybe being too loud, who do you think they're going to listen to? The guy that just shows up with a heavy hand that doesn't really care about them, doesn't even care about what their names are? No. They're going to listen to the one that cared enough to, to join the game with them, right? On a practical note, I want to share with you an excerpt from uh, a book called Soul Shaper. Uh, it's incredibly practical. Speaking of restoration, Dr. Keith Drury says this, Restorers must approach brothers or sisters in a spirit of meekness, vividly remembering that they too have feet of clay. They must avoid gossip and keep their talking and advice to a minimum. Restoring is not lecture giving. They are not looking for an opportunity to give harsh, heavy-handed condemnation or to illustrate their own spiritual superiority. They are sympathetic and tactful, carefully selecting their words. Most of all, restorers are humble. Restoration is not the world for those with a spiritual superiority complex. Godly restorers come not as ones stooping down to raise up another to their level. Rather, they come alongside as friends to help brothers and sisters back to their feet. Restorers are meek people, a blend of strength and tenderness, strong enough to set the bone, yet gentle enough to avoid hurting the patient more than necessary as they do it. Ironically, the, the best restorers are typically the people that think they're no good at it. And the worst restorers are the ones that delight in it. It's challenging. But just because it's challenging doesn't mean that it shouldn't happen. And in a healthy church, it should happen among the members of that church. It should. What does it mean biblically to be teachable? Well, from Paul, we learn what it means to be a teachable teacher. The second perspective we're going to look at today is the Corinthians are teachable students. Corinthians are the teachable students. Now, Ranger Joe, Ranger Joe represented for us uh, Paul, the teachable teacher, but I, I brought a second friend here with me. Let me introduce you to Poppy. This is Poppy. Now, Poppy, aw, Poppy is from the movie Trolls. Again, if you haven't seen it, 
I wouldn't rush to go see it. It's, it's probably not worth your time. Um, it's a strange kids movie, but if you ask my daughter, it's an awesome kids movie. So I guess whatever your perspective is. So this is Poppy, and uh, in the movie Trolls, her character is kind of a loose cannon, okay? She's crazy and wild. She makes terrible decisions. She doesn't listen very well. Uh, by the end of the movie, she's finally starting to listen a little bit better. She's finally starting to take some of their advice, but she's still, she's still kind of a loose cannon. She's still a little bit crazy. So she is a great representation of uh, the Corinthians, our teachable students, kind of a loose cannon. Let's look back at verse nine. Paul says this, now I am glad I sent it. Remember, he's referring back to his first letter, 1 Corinthians. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you are not harmed by us in any way. The Corinthians exhibit a beautifully repentant spirit. Of course, we don't have the entire picture here. Uh, we don't know how long it took or, or how difficult it was for the Corinthians to receive this difficult message from Paul. But what we do know is they turned from sin, they dealt with the problem, and they turned to Jesus in faith. And that is the description of Repentance. Look at what he says in verse 10. This, by the way, is, in my opinion, one of the best descriptions of repentance in the entire Bible. Paul says this. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Paul defines repentance for us, and he says that true repentance involves sorrow. But there is a sorrow that ends in spiritual death and a sorrow that results in spiritual life. Not all sorrow equals true repentance, according to Paul. The sorrow of the world is based on pleasure. It's based on our own selfish desires. It's when I do something that I know is wrong, but I only regret it or try to change my behavior because I got caught. It's when you stop your sinful behavior because if you continue, for example, you'll go to jail or you'll lose your marriage and neither one of those things are good for you. Listen closely. There are a lot of people that will not make it to heaven. There, there's a lot of people that have given up sinful behavior, but just because they gave up sinful behavior does not mean they will make it to heaven. Why? Because their sorrow did not lead them to Jesus. You can stop sinning to a degree and for a season without turning to Jesus for salvation. That's why Paul says that worldly sorrow results in spiritual death because it's not true repentance. On the flip side, genuine repentance requires godly sorrow. It's the kind of sorrow that recognizes that my sin is what required Jesus to hang on the cross. My sin caused a rift between me and the Lord 
And I not only stop sinning, but I come to the feet of Jesus and I humbly ask for his pardon, for forgiveness. That kind of sorrow, church, results in salvation because I'm turning away from something and I'm turning to the one, the only one that has the power to save. The Corinthians had godly sorrow. Paul then appeals to their own example in verse 11 when he says this. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. So let's summarize How were the Corinthians teachable? How were they teachable? First, they were believers. They were Christians. Just like Paul, they had surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And they were committed to following Jesus and Jesus' way. They were Christians. And that's where you've got to start. You can't have this teachable spirit that we see in the Corinthians or that we see in the Apostle Paul unless you first come to Jesus and surrender to him as your Lord and Savior. Secondly, they received a hard message from Paul. Like they listened. They listened to what Paul had to say to him. Third, they quickly got over their offense. It was only a short time, according to Paul, that, that they were frustrated uh, about him challenging them. And then they moved on. They got over the offense. And there are many. You know, we've all been guilty of it. And I believe there's many in the room today that you, you have been living in offense for years. You've been offended for years about something. And until you get over that offense, but whatever it is that somebody offended you about, legitimate or not, you are the one that will not be able to go to the deeper spiritual places that Christ wants to bring you until you get over that offense. Fourth, they had a zeal to repent and turn from sin. That word zeal means an earnestness, a speed in making right their wrong, a zeal. And fifth, the last thing we see in them is Their faith and repentance encouraged Paul and Titus to continue in the ministry. So it begs the question, does my faith encourage my mentors? It should. It should. Years ago, uh, there was uh, someone in our church that had reached out and wanted to meet with a pastor for some relationship advice. And I happened to be the one that that met with her uh, just out front in the church, up in the cafe area, we sat down and, and uh, she was looking for some advice on her relationship with her boyfriend. And uh, by the way, it says a lot about someone that asks for godly wisdom. I think that's pretty awesome. That says a lot about somebody having a teachable spirit to even ask for that kind of advice and insight. Well, we met together 
And to be completely honest with you, um, until recently, I, f- I forgot about that entire conversation. Uh, we met together and she shared with me her story, kind of unpacked the whole situation. Uh, she moved in, was living with this boyfriend. Uh, the boyfriend was not a Christian and, and had no desire to be a Christian. And the relationship uh, just was not a God-honoring relationship. And she would just ask, what do, I, what do I do? What am I supposed to do in this? So I gave some advice. She left crying. I don't remember the advice. I really don't remember the advice that I gave, but I, I remember the situation a little bit. And I said something and, and we, you know, we ended the conversation. It was good. She received it very well. Obviously was sad about it. And, it, you know, the conversation was over and, and she went on her way. And I really, until just recently, and this was four or five years ago at least, I hadn't heard uh, what happened immediately after that conversation. Well, I knew that eventually she had made some changes, but just recently she told me um, exactly, you know, this conversation that I forgot about, she told me uh, what happened immediately after that. Like she left the church, she was, you know, sad, she knew needed to make some changes. Like I just happened to be the one to give the advice, but it was, it was the Lord that she was responding to, not me. And, and she went home that night, packed her bags, and she left that dude. And I thought, that's awesome. That is awesome. And and I'll tell you what, I mean, first of all, it says a lot about someone to ask for godly wisdom. So much. And and I'll tell you what, God has blessed her in, in the years since that difficult step of obedience because she knew that this relationship was not heading to a place that could ever honor the Lord. She knew that. And, and God has blessed her since that time in so many ways. And even though it was hard and very difficult for her to do, she, she took that tough step. She made the changes. And as a result, God has blessed her obedience. And, and, and church, that is the kind of godly sorrow that Paul was commending in the Corinthians that results in salvation. There was a zeal, a resolve, a haste involved in making things right. We need to stop waiting and we need to start obeying. Simple question. How are you at receiving correction? That's a big question. Don't take that lightly. How am I at receiving correction? Am I looking for it? It's one thing to receive it when you have to. It's another thing to go looking for it. As we wrap up today, I want to give just a few challenges to us today. First of all, some of you in the room are mature in your faith. I give glory to God for that. And and perhaps the message today was confirmation that you're supposed to have that hard conversation with another Christian in your life. To challenge them only with the purpose of restoration. If the purpose of restoration isn't there, don't do it. If they're not a Christian, don't do it. If there's active unrepentant sin in your life, don't do it. Do so in humility with a motive to restore Proceed with much weeping 
and with much prayer. But do not ignore the nudge of the Spirit to restore. It's, it's hard, but it's necessary, and it's worth it. Secondly, maybe you're a Christian in the room, uh, but you've allowed sin in your life to exist, and you know that it is wrecking you. You know it's wrecking you. And, and here's what I know, because I'm guilty of it, we're all guilty of it. We can justify just about anything. Like, when it's something that we want to do, <laughs> we can justify just about anything. We, we are always our best salesperson, right? You know it because you've done it, just like I've done it. Like, we will justify something that we know is wrong, and we will figure out a way to spin it up in our mind to where it's, it's fine. But you know that there's something in your life that is opposed it's opposed to what God wants for you. And you know it's wrecking you. I encourage you today to ask for help. Ask for a godly mentor to speak into your life and respond as the Corinthians did with zeal. Make the change and seek pardon from the Lord Jesus. And you know what? Jesus delights in forgiving. Isn't that awesome? He delights in forgiveness. Lastly, perhaps you're here and, and you're not a Christian, but you are longing for a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Jesus loved you enough to lower himself, to sacrifice himself so that you, by believing in him as your Lord and Savior, you could have a relationship with the living God. And if that's you today and, and you're ready to, to submit your, your life and yourself to the Lordship of Jesus, if you'd like to pray to receive Christ as your Savior, uh, then I encourage you to, to stop by our, our purple tent. Our, our prayer team is back there today after the service. They would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. Any of our staff would love to pray with you to receive Christ Stop waiting. It'll be the best decision that you've ever, ever made. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm so grateful for this example we have from Paul, this teachable teacher that was willing to be uncomfortable and to challenge and to take that risk. And I'm so thankful for this example we have of the Corinthians who received that correction. They were offended. They were hurt, but they moved on. They received it and they turned to you in faith. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would uh, just challenge us with what we need to hear today. Give us a teachable spirit. Lord, I, I think of David when he prayed, Lord, point out anything in me that is not pleasing to you and help me to walk along the path of everlasting life. Lord, give us that kind of teachable spirit, regardless of how much we think we know, regardless of how long we've been a believer, give us that kind of teachable spirit. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.